Well, good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And as always, it is a joy to open up God's word with you. This morning, we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 20. So go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's word. For the last couple of Sundays, we were considering uh, the theme of being spirit empowered. And we looked at spirit empowered endurance first. And now for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at spirit empowered legacy. We've been looking at the legacy that the Apostle Paul left in the city of Ephesus and with the, uh, the church and the elders at Ephesus and our legacy, the kind of legacy that we're going to leave on this world, the kind of mark that's going to uh, be left after our life is over. And what we want to do is we want to glean from the Apostle Paul's legacy and hopefully it can be used to shape our legacy as well. If you remember last Sunday, we talked about the Apostle Paul left a verb, intentionally left a verbal legacy of being a, a communicator of God's word. He wanted to be a proclaimer of the word of God. And so we highlighted that he highlighted that he was a preacher of God's word. And that left us to ask the question, well, what was the motivation for Paul being a proclaimer of God's word? And we saw that he had two motivations thus far. The first was this, that the word of God was profitable. And we looked at maybe how and why the word of God was profitable in his sight. And we believe at Pillar Church that the word of God is profitable. But the second thing was this. He was compelled by the spirit of God that the word of God was profitable and that he was compelled by the spirit of God. He had to be a preacher of God's word because lives were at stake. He had to proclaim the good news because there was too much at risk. He was compelled. Have you ever had that feeling where you're like, no, I got to do this. I have to do this. That's the feeling of being compelled. That's the feeling of being drawn. I have to go. I have to go. Well, this morning, we're going to look at number three, number four and number five when it comes to the motivations for Paul as it pertains to this verbal legacy of being a proclaimer of God's word. Number three is this. That the wisdom of God built Paul for this mission. That was his his third motivation. His first was that the word of God was profitable. His second was that he was compelled by the spirit of God. And the third is that the wisdom of God built Paul for this. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul understood why God built him this way. God uniquely built Paul. He uniquely put Paul together to be a proclaimer of God's grace. He did it on purpose. He made it Paul's purpose. That's what Paul said himself. Look, in verse 24, he says, my my what? My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. What was his ministry? What was his course? What was his purpose? To testify the gospel of God's grace. Have you ever heard the expression hindsight is 2020? I've heard that expression a hundred times. And, and if you've never heard the expression, you probably lived the reality, though. When you kind of look backwards a couple months or a couple years and you go, 
ah, oh, that's why such and such happened, right? That's why I lost my job. So I can get this job. It was a door opening. Or we're like, yo, that was a door closing. Or, or maybe the jury's still out as you look backwards to some of the events in your life. Well, if we look back at the annals of the Apostle Paul's life, we can clearly see how God built Paul to be a proclaimer. In particular, God built Paul to be a proclaimer to the Jewish people. Now, I know he was a proclaimer. He was the apostle to the Gentiles and he was a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. I know that. But even Paul recognized that he was uniquely built to proclaim the gospel to the Jews. Look at Philippians chapter three, verses five and six. Paul speaks of himself and he says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, he was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecutor of the church. Regarding the righteousness that's in the law, he was blameless. Not to mention he was a student of the uh, well-known Jewish rabbi Gamaliel. And we learn that in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. We see that God uniquely built Paul to be a proclaimer of the gospel to the Jewish people. You can't deny that. But that's not the only thing God built Paul to do. God built Paul to be a proclaimer of the gospel to the Jews, and he also wanted him to be a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. How do I know that? Well, firstly, Paul's birth. You see, Paul had a Hebrew heritage, but he was born on Roman soil. And if you don't know, Romans are Gentiles. And the Romans were the reigning power in this region during this time. And so God gave Paul a Hebrew descent, but he gave him Roman citizenship birthrights. God wanted Paul to leverage his, his Hebrew, his robust Hebrew education, his heritage as a Hebrew man, and his citizenship birthrights, all to be a proclaimer of God's word to Jews and to Gentiles. Not to mention, and I kind of glossed over this, his education was important, and that enabled him to proclaim the gospel to those who were the higher-ups of society or the governmental rulers of society. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 15. God says, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to check that out to Gentiles to kings and to Israelites God uniquely built Paul born on Roman soil of Hebrew heritage prestigious education so that he could speak to Gentiles Roman citizenship to kings robust education, and to Hebrews and to Jews because he was of Hebrew descent. Paul, uh, God uniquely built Paul as a Swiss army knife so that he can do all that God had called him to do. God uniquely built Paul for the mission in which he called him. And guess what? God uniquely built you for the mission in which he's called you to as well. That should remind you of Romans chapter 12, where Paul kind of illustrates the reality that each individual person in unit has a unique gifting from God. And at the right time and in the right way, God uses that unique gifting for his glory and for the good of people. And you need to we need to be the people who embrace those unique giftings that God supplies. It makes me think of our pastoral team here at Pillar Church. I think of Pastor Derek and I think of Pastor Eric. And as I sit back and I look at these men, they are vastly different. 
They have different upbringings. They have different nationalities. They solve problems differently. They have a different skill set. They think differently. They do a whole lot of things differently than each other. But man, they're so much stronger together than they ever could have been apart. And I'm so much better with them than I ever could have been apart. We are three uniquely different individuals. And when we embrace the realities of our differences, yet we run in the same direction, we can carry weight, we can carry weight, run with power and run with speed all at the same time. It's incredible. Now, the question is, how does this apply to you? Well, God uses the recipe of your upbringing and experiences to build you into the man or woman that he wants you to be so that he can call upon you to do what he wants you to do at the proper time. God uses the faculties you used to use for selfish gain and he redeems them so that he can use them for his glory and the good of people. That's what we see in Romans chapter six. It says, and do not offer any parts of yourself to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God in all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. If God has gifted you with an incredible mind, use that for his glory. If God has gifted you with a gentle disposition that you used to use for manipulation, now you can use your, just, your gentle disposition for God's glory. Do you have unique athletic abilities? It doesn't matter how God has built you. The reality is he's built you and you are a useful tool in the hand of the creator who knows how to wield and use you for your good and for the glory of God. How has God built you? What experiences and skills do you have that make you different. It's time to embrace those. What education have you partaken in that you can now utilize for kingdom work? You see, we got to stop getting caught up and wanting each other's gifts, right? We look at somebody else and we say, I wish I could do that, or I wish I could do that. We have to stop. We can't live life doing that. We'll be, a, we'll be frustrated all the days of our lives if we are yearning the gifts that other people have. It's like being a penguin. And I know some of y'all like, Pastor K, I was riding with you until you said being a penguin. But hold on. Think about that. It's like being a penguin laid out on that glacier, looking up and seeing all those other birds of the sky flying around. And you're jealous that you don't have feathers and that you can't fly. And rather than living your life jealous that you don't have wings and that you can't fly, how about you embrace the unique reality that you can swim? The unique gifting of being able to manipulate your body in and through water and how to run and manipulate yourself on ice. No other birds can do what you do. It's time to embrace that reality within yourself. You are useful in the hands of God. You are a master fisherman in your own way. We need to be embracing how God has made us. You may not be a preacher who stands on the pulpit on Sunday and proclaims the message of God's word, but you are just as useful being or doing something else to his glory. There is nobody who is better or worse, higher or lower in this work of gospel, uh, in this gospel work. God can use you and don't let the world put a value scale on the gifts that God has given you. God has determined that those gifts are valuable and you want to utilize those gifts for the good of people in his glory. Let no one tell you otherwise. Maybe you're not an educator, but you a killer in the kitchen. Man, cook it up to God's glory. 
Maybe you want to counsel, but you're not gifted at you're not gifted at counseling. But you, because you have this strong desire and you empathize well with people, you could be an intercessor in prayer for people. You can pray on behalf of people unto God. Man, God has uniquely built you. Don't be frustrated wasting your time trying to be like everybody else. Man, be like how God has built you. Redeemed for God's glory, using your gifts, your parts, your members, not for sin anymore, but now for the glory of God. Man, be who God has made you to be. In the process of figuring out who God has made us to be, we need to take time. We need to sit down. We need to think. We need to pray. And I want to give you some steps to help clarify how God has built you so that you can run in the lane that he has designed for you to run in. How has God intentionally wired you? Firstly, try doing this, right? Write down what gifts the Lord has given you. Now, I know you're like, I've heard this before, Pastor K. I know you have, but I want you to sit down and write down the gifts that God has given you. And then in the midst of that, I want you to ask a friend what kind of gifts God is giving you. Because sometimes we'll avoid writing a gift down on that paper because it's a gift that we don't want to we don't want to recognize we have. It's a gift that we don't like doing. Well, we need our friend to tell us, no, my, no, no girl, you good at this. Nah, homie, you got skills in this, though. And it even helps to clarify some blind spots. Like, you really think I'm good at that? Man, yeah, you're good at that. You're the best I know at that, right? You want to write them down. Here are some things you can think about as you're writing those thoughts down. Just two, two ideas to help you flow. What kind of things come easy for you? Right? What kind of things come easy for you? Are you a good listener? Do you crunch numbers well? Do you take charge well? Are you good at organization? Are you good at memorization? Are you a people connector? Basically, what do you do with little to no effort, yet do it excellently? Okay, that's the first task, right? Write down the gifts that, God, that you think God has given you. The second task is this. What areas of your life do you have a passion for? Right? And I know you've heard this before. I don't care. Write down the areas of life you have a passion for. And if you're questioning, maybe... What er I don't know what areas I have a passion for. Here are some clarifying benchmarks or some markers that you can use. What makes you overjoyed and what makes you furious? Right. Think about those categories. What makes you overjoyed? What are things that bring smiles to your face? And what are those things that you get hot blood boiling about? These next two are good to help you think through that that second task. What, uh, what areas of life do you have a passion for? These next two are good. Ready? What kind of things do you spend your spare time doing? Right? That's good because that means you'll do it for free, which means you have a true passion for that thing. You love that thing. You're not tied down to the need to pay a bill. That's why you do that. No, you do this because you love this. What do you do with your spare time? And the second one is like that. What do you find yourself spending money on? Right. What do you find yourself spending your money on? See, you work real hard to get that dough and then you go and blow it on something. Usually we're blowing it on something that is our passion or something that got a hold of us like food. I'm just saying I'm confessing before you. All right. I love eating. But what do you spend your money on outside of that? And what do you spend your spare time on? So the first task is to write down the gifts the Lord has given you and to utilize a friend. The second task is to find out what areas of life you have a passion for and write those down. Here's the third task. And this is my favorite. And let me say this full disclosure. This is not original with me. I want you to think back 
in detail and share five stories from your past with somebody who knows you. Now, it can't be somebody who knows you well. It has to be somebody who has recently come to know you, right? Somebody who has your best interests in mind, but has only known you for a couple of years. And I want you to share with that person five impressionable things that happened to you in your past, five stories that you can recall and make it six, seven, eight, doesn't matter, but, but pull up at least five stories from your past. And I want you to share in great detail those stories with somebody who has your best interests in mind. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to listen for themes, listen for, for, for strands of thought that are kind of flowing from one story to the other and, and see all the commonalities within those stories. It's going to help to identify those common themes. Now, the reason why you can't do it is because you're biased to yourself. You're going to recall five stories. You're going to write down five stories and you're going to you're going to input within them some aspirational dreams and goals about yourself, thereby lying to yourself. Right. We don't want that. We want somebody else to be able to look at these stories and objectively say, hey, here are like four or five themes I'm finding rising up out of these stories. Do any any of these resonate with you? We don't want to project who we want to be. We want to be able to see who we actually are. And by looking in the past. Right. Having some hindsight, some objective hindsight that may give us a lot of direction to the future and to the direction we need to go moving forward. Right. That'll help to show you, man, God really did wire me like this, huh? I did this process with a friend. You know him and I know him. And as we kind of sat down and we walked through these steps, man, he noticed some things within me and he had verbiage. He had language that I didn't have. But man, it resonated with me. I was like, yeah, God did build me like this. I do have a passion for this. I am like this all the time, aren't I? He was like, yeah. You know, for him, it was like it was clear. But for me, it was like revolutionary. And so I'm like, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to let God utilize that. Let him redeem that, cleanse that and then use it for his glory. I want to leverage that for heavenly glory and for the good of people. And that's what God was doing with the Apostle Paul. He wanted Paul to leverage who he's who he was built to be, a proclaimer of God's word. And he proclaimed God's word. He leveraged his background, his history, his education. For God's glory and the good of others. Paul's legacy was that he was a communicator of God's word. Why did Paul do this? What was his motivators? Well, one, the word of God was profitable. Two, he was compelled by the spirit of God. Three, he was built that way by this, by the wisdom of God. Fourthly. He wanted a clear conscience. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 25 through 27. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Paul wanted the Ephesian elders to know that he didn't hold back anything. He didn't keep back any truth from them. Notice those those words that we highlighted last week or here this week, too. Right? I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that over the course of three years, I taught you all that I could teach you. I shared every important truth with you. And in that sense, he's saying my hands are clean. I am innocent of your blood. As you read this. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, I'm sure that Paul 
had the words of Ezekiel in mind from Ezekiel chapter three or chapter 33, but in particular, chapter three here. Look what it says. Ezekiel chapter three, verse 16 through 21. Now, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I've made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me, if I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him. You don't speak out and warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity. But you will have rescued yourself. Now, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly and I put a stumbling block in front of him, he will die. If you do not warn him, he will die because of his sin. And the righteous acts he did will not be remembered. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn the righteous person that he should not sin and he does not sin, he will indeed live because he listened to your warning and you will have rescued yourself. <laughs> wow. Paul is declaring that his conscience is clean before man and God, that there is no blood on his hands, that he took the time over the course of three years to share with them all the truth that he knew. He warned them from the depths of his soul and from the recesses of his mind. He told them everything he could possibly tell them for their benefit and for God's glory. He shared everything. He says, my hands are clean. A sad reality, though, in our cultural moment is that we tend to take an either or approach to serving our neighbor and thereby incurring blood on our hands. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Let me unpack that a little bit. We tend to take an either or approach to serving our neighbor, thereby incurring blood on our hands. Many of us fall into one or two trap, one of two traps. Either, either we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good or we're so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good. The overemphasis of either is detrimental to the good of people and the glory of God. God calls faith without works dead in James chapter 2. But the reverse is true too. Works without faith is dead. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls the religious leaders of his day lopsided because they were doing temple worship, but they were neglecting people care. And it's funny how the reverse is opposite too. Jesus would call us lopsided if we neglected temple worship, yet focused too much on people care. You see, when God created, he created both the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1. When he created man, he made him both body and soul, Genesis chapter 2. When he executes his wrath on this world and on the people of this world who don't place their faith in Jesus, he'll do so both on their body and on their soul, right? Matthew chapter 10. When he redeems people because they have placed their trust and their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to redeem both their body and their soul. First Thessalonians chapter five. Therefore, when we serve, when we walk out our calling, when we do what God has built us to do, we must have an eye toward heaven and earth. 
see, it's natural to lean a little bit to one side or the other, right? It's natural to lean to one side or the other, but leaning becomes falling when you take it too far. Let us not forget that Paul, in this very moment, in this very text, oh, this is a good point. Let's not forget that Paul, right here, right now, is verbally saying that he was a preacher. He was a proclaimer of God's word. Yet, what is he actually doing? He's in, he's actually en route with financial blessings for the church at Jerusalem, right? He brings good news both to the physical and to the spiritual. He's a proclaimer of God's word that is not too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, and he's not too earthly minded to be of any heavenly good. He knows that they have material needs, and so he takes ships and, and walks hundreds of miles on horseback and, and, and on foot to deliver financial relief to the to the suffering poor church in Jerusalem. And he says, you know what, since I'm built to proclaim, let me go ahead and preach the message of the gospel to you at the same time, the message of the good news of Jesus, because they are not separate. They are, they are one and the same. They belong together. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith is dead. All oh, my friends, they work together. They work together. Paul's conscience is clear. He's free from accusation. How about you? Is there blood on your hands? Is there blood on, their, uh, on your hands because you've overly focused on one to the detriment of the other? Have you cared about the bodies of men and given no care to their soul or their spirit? Or have you been a somebody who cares deeply about their soul and their spirit that you've thrown their body to the wayside? Is there blood on your hands? Have you done both? Have you neglected the whole person? Have you not even considered the reality that you may be in a position to be a blessing to somebody, but you'd rather be comfortable and so you don't share, you don't proclaim, you don't deliver, you don't give, you don't do anything. You just sit in your bubble isolated unto yourself. You don't learn, you don't grab a book. Oh, don't do that. Get in the game. Get your head in the game. Let's go get it out here. Time is short. What's your legacy going to say about you? Oh, he was a man who lived in comfort and safety. Nah. How about a man who served God, loved people, proclaimed the gospel and served the, to the healing of the, of the bodies of the people in which are in his sphere of life? Come on. Come on. Paul's legacy was uh, Paul left the legacy of being a preacher of God's word. And he preached because the word of God was profitable. He preached because he was compelled to preach. He preached because he was built to preach. He preached because he wanted a clear conscience. Then he preached number five because he wanted the sheep to flourish. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Oh, there's so much I can say about that passage. But Paul wants the sheep to flourish because Paul is a watchman over God's people. Remember that Paul has the words of Ezekiel running through his mind. And Ezekiel is considered the, Old Test the watchman of the Old Testament, right? Widely considered that because God calls him a watchman. Watchmen usually stand on the city walls. Right. So that they have a vantage point that the other people in the city don't have. That's what watchmen do. Shepherds also have a vantage point that the sheep don't have. You see, the sheep in the front are only concerned about going in the direction that they want to go in. And the sheep in the back are only concerned about going in the direction they want to go in. And, and oftentimes, neither grouping of sheep have um, 
capacity to see what the other grouping is going through. And so while this sheep is going in this direction, they don't have a perspective to see that the predator is nipping at the heels of the sheep in the back. And so the sheep in the back keep pushing the sheep in the front to go faster, but the sheep in the front are edging up along that, that, that cliff. And they don't want to go any faster because they might fall off the cliff. And so it's the duty of the watchman. It's the duty of the shepherd. It's the duty of your pastors here at Pillar Church to see the landscape before us and to be able to rectify and to bring healing and to bring um, a solution to the issues of the sheep not having the perspective of the others. It's our duty to protect the sheep from the enemies that are nipping at the heels of those who are in the back. It's our duty to guide the sheep along that very that very slippery slope that they could be on. It's our duty as pastors to do that, to save you from the predators and to lead you in a way that is healthy for your spiritual growth and for your physical growth. We want to see you grow both physically and spiritually. We want you to flourish physically and spiritually. And Paul wanted his people to flourish both spiritually and physically. God wanted to tell them, God wanted to lead them to all of God. Paul wanted to lead them to all of God's best for them. And the pastors at Pillar Church want to lead you to all God's best for you. We're not going to do anything out of selfish gain. We want to do everything for the glory of God and for the good of his people. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do because we care about you, because we love you. We don't serve you so that our name gets in lights. We serve you because we care. We serve you because the gospel compels us. We share with you the word of God because it's profitable. That's why we do what we do. And we pray that the Lord is using it for his glory and for your good. You know, pastors care deeply about their sheep. They care deeply about their people. But what the Apostle Paul is about to say is one of the most scary things any shepherd could hear. And remember, Paul is speaking to the pastors of the church at Ephesus. Listen to what he's about to share with them. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number to distort and distort the truth, to lure the disciples into following them. Man, y'all hear these words? You hear the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses? He says, dog, savage wolves about to come in and they're not going to spare the flock. They come in and they do damage. And then he says, men from your own number are going to come in and try to sway people away from the truth and they're following them. He says, war is coming, but it's not just coming from the outside, my friends. Be careful. War is coming from the inside. It's like an autoimmune disease. You see, an autoimmune disease is when your immune system is compromised. Your immune system is built up of organs and cells that generally defend you against bacteria and viruses. But when you have an autoimmune disease, it means that your immune system is compromised in such a way where those cells and organs begin to not defend the body, but to attack the body because it can no longer distinguish between the bacteria and the viruses and the body itself. And so from within its own number, it begins to eat itself. It begins to damage itself. It begins to harm itself. And Paul's saying, dog, it's coming. People from your own number are going to rise up and they're going to do damage to the body. Not to mention the wolves are going to come in from the outside. You got the bacteria and the viruses coming in. You got your own immune system turning on itself. Y'all got to be careful. And that's the duty of a shepherd. That's the duty of a watchman. 
We got to watch out for the wolves trying to penetrate. We got to watch out for the for the diseases that may um, um, boil up from within the body looking to kill you in your relationship with the Lord. My friends, Pillar Church, hear this. There are people in our community who desire to sway you away from the truth. There are people in our community who want to sway you away from God's best for you. And they will appeal to your culture and in your history and your lineage in order to get you to start believing lies rather than believing what God's word has said. And I tell you, do not follow these wolves. Do not follow these Judaizers. These Judaizers who appeal to their heritage and culture, kind of like what we see in the Bible, huh? How the Jews told how the Judaizers told the Gentiles that they had to become Jews before they become Christians. Hmm. Sounds very familiar. Second Timothy, chapter four, verse three and four says this for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Oh, let that not be us. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus, this truth in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. He says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. Pillar Church, your pastors want you to walk in truth. We want to see you flourish spiritually and physically, and we will do our best to fight for God's best for you in both arenas. Paul is making it clear before God that he did his very best. His hands are clean. He gave it his all. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 31. He says, therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Pillar Church, you know us. You watched us. You've seen our gifts. You've seen our shortfalls. You've seen our hurts and you've seen us rejoice. We've confessed sin together. We've read God's word together. We've cried together and we've broken bread together. Y'all ride with us. Ride with this for our message is sound and our character tested by you and by God. I know it hasn't been three years yet, but we get there. And we share the same message that the Apostle Paul shared in Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. We testified both to Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Guys, repent and believe. Turn from your sin and trust that Jesus's life was acceptable before God the Father. Trust and believe that Jesus's death was enough to satisfy the wrath of God. Turn from your sin and trust that Jesus rose from the dead, thus proving his power to all who have eyes to see. But know this, if you don't turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, that means you have to pay your own sin debt. That means you have to pay your way out of the wrath of God. And that's a debt that you just can't pay. God's wrath is real, but so is his grace and his grace has a name. 
Jesus. If you're a Christian, I'm calling you to repent of your sin and turn and follow Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I'm calling you to repent of your sin, to turn and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. God may have called you not only to save your soul, but to use you to save others around you and use you and use your legacy to bring about the redemption of those who come behind you. Now, some of you may be saying, what if I don't have a legacy like the Apostle Paul? What if I don't have a legacy, a spirit empowered legacy now? Like, what do I do now for my legacy? What are some practical ways to start building a spirit empowered legacy? I'm glad you asked. The first is this. Here are some practical ways to build a spirit empowered legacy. Okay. The first, as I said, the first is this. Repent and keep repenting. That's the first one, right? Turn from that which brings shame to your legacy, to you and your legacy. Turn away. Repent from that. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. God says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. And if you know anything about this culture, they would tear their clothes as a form of mourning. He said, no, no, don't just tear your clothes, verse 13. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. And return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. So you can offer a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord, your God. And as you're repenting, as you're repenting, I want you to know that God has the power to redeem all that was wasted and broken. Let's continue in Joel verse 25 to 27. I will repay you for the years the swarming locusts ate, the young locusts, the destroying locusts and the devouring locusts, my great army that I sent against you. You will have plenty to eat. And be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who dealt wondrously, wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. Know that God's grace has the ability to restore all that the locust has eaten. So if your past is ravaged with things that would not look like a spirit empowered legacy, know that God can restore and redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. Isn't that what God did with the Apostle Paul, who went from a persecutor of the church to an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ and a proclaimer and a planter of his churches? It certainly is the story with me and my father. My father didn't raise me. I was raised by my mother, but I, I would visit my father. But for years, I felt abandoned. For years, I didn't feel loved by my father. And I grew up with this bitterness, this anger toward him, like, dog, why'd you abandon your very first son? Was really good. And I was angry at him. And, and there was times when we would visit and we would have times of, of being cool, but there was a lot of times of just hostile thinking in my own mind. And he was off doing whatever he was doing. But you know what's crazy? The Lord Jesus Christ grabbed a hold of my soul in 2005. And just here a few years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ grabbed a hold of my father's soul. And as he grew, uh, grabbed a hold of my father's soul and he grabbed a hold of my soul, he began to restore all those years that the locusts have eaten. 
And so now when I'm on the phone with pops, it's a good time. When I sit down to eat with my pops, it's a good time. We laughing and we're joking. The bitterness has gone away. The pain has leaked away from our hearts. We repented to each other for all the angry, all the angry thoughts that I had and all the abandonment uh, things that he was doing. We repented. We prayed together. We 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 share scripture together. We talk together. That's my pops. I love my pops. And it's funny. It feels like God had restored all those years that were broken and wounded. He restored what the locusts had eaten. We repented and we will continue to repent just to give you a little insight into my life. So repent and keep repenting Two, be intentional. Be intentional. You'll never leave a spirit empowered legacy by accident. You'll never grow in your faith by accident. You'll never leave a mark or an impact on this world, at least not the one you want, by accident. For those of us with kids and families, I want you to I'm going to call you to be intentional. Spend a little time every day or every week in the word with your children. Teach them to pray. Right. So in my house, we made a little prayer map on the wall and it has different topics for different days to pray for. And we're praying for people and leaders of our country and, and different categories of people who people who are these kind of workers and this kind of thing and from this kind of place. And you know, we got to get back to that. We actually fell away from doing that. But man, make a prayer map or a prayer chart and put it in the in the in the room of your children. And then every day find yourself praying for different things in different ways with your kids. Be intentional. Serve your community with your kids by your side. Man, bring them with you when you go to serve. When you go to bless other people, bring them with you. Think about what's being caught versus what's being taught. And then ask yourself, is what they're seeing consistent with what I'm saying? Challenge yourself there. Be intentional. Make a vision statement for your family and then take steps to walk that out with them. Now, I found that most families, when they do this, they make the mistake of making the vision statement so comprehensive. Don't make it overly comprehensive. Make it super simple and then walk out that vision statement with your kids. You're teaching them about being consistent. You're teaching them to walk out that which they say they are about. So if you say, man, we like to give, uh, we like to be generous, man, make sure that they see you and they have opportunities to give things of value, not give away their trash but give things of value to others who may not have. And they don't do it for the glory. They don't go around telling other people at school that they're doing it. You know, we teach them, no, we're doing this for God's glory and for their good. That's it. We've, got, we've gotten our reward. Teach them that. Be intentional. Repent in front of your kids, lest they think you're somebody that you're not. You don't want them putting you on a pedestal. Repent in front of them. Have other godly men and women frequent your home. So that they can get a, a wide array of, of, of how God has wired people differently. Because remember, we hit that age with our kids where we start to fight a lot and that the wiring starts to hit different. And we can say the same thing that they're saying, but for some reason they listen to them, right? I mean, get these godly people in your home and let's shape these children for God's glory. If you're single, you have to be just as intentional as if you're not. Spend significant time in the word and prayer so that you could be chiseled by God's word. Take full advantage of your singleness by serving with your giftings, right? Invite yourselves. And here's one that was great. My wife thought of this one, right? Invite yourselves to the lives of other families around you for mutual fellowship and discipleship. Man, make me ask me, man, can, can I come over the house? Yeah, I know you're going to be doing laundry. I could fold. I could fold some, some shirts, man. I can, I can get down. I could do some laundry. I can help you clean that kitchen while you're talking. I can hold your baby while we, while we talk about the things of God and share my life with you. Man, get up in there. Get up in there. Share your gifts. Oh, here's another one. Share your gifts and talents with other singles or people younger than you. 
You see, when you're, when you're younger and you're single or just single in general, you have the ability to walk alongside like them teenagers, right? You can walk alongside them young, them young knucklehead middle schoolers. You can do that. And so, man, go ahead, do that. Use your time in that way. Let God use you. Be intentional. So repent and keep repenting. Be intentional. Thirdly, I'm going to shorten these down. Be led by God's word. That's simple, right? Be intentional about being led by God's word. If you want what God wants, then you have the almighty backing you, right? You ever think about that? If you want what God wants, then the almighty creator of heaven and earth is backing you. Look at Psalm 37, verse 5 through 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the noonday. Y'all didn't read that. Look at this. Commit whose way? Commit your way. Commit it to who? The Lord. Trust him. And what's he going to do? He is going to act. Right. Commit your way to him and he is going to act on your behalf. That's what verse six says. He says he's going to make your righteousness shine and he's going to make your justice like noonday. Proverbs 16, verse two through three. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the motives. Verse three is the key. Commit your activities to the Lord. And your plans will be established. Oh, my friends, do all that you do for the glory of God. If you want your plans to be established, it says verse three, which says what? Commit your activities to who? To the Lord. Do them unto the Lord. Your plans will be established. Repent and keep repenting. Be intentional. Be led by God's word. Fourthly, and this is not an exhaustive list, but time is running out. Fourthly, walk in your purpose. Recognize how God has built you and walk in the power that he supplies. And we kind of went over that earlier in the sermon. Let's leave a generation of spirit empowered legacies for the generation that's coming up behind us. And let's lead out. Let's lead out, leaving a legacy that they can follow. To the glory of God and to the good of people. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and grace and allowing us the blessed opportunity to discuss the realities of a spirit empowered legacy as we looked in, at, our, at a model in the Apostle Paul. And we know that the death, resurrection, uh, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is able to redeem all that our legacies did not live up to. However, Lord, as I think about the thief on the cross, he's known as the thief on the cross, yet his legacy is a legacy of repentance. His legacy is a legacy of Lord. When you get to heaven, don't forget about me. We don't know anything about what he stole. We don't know anything about what he did. All we know is that he believed upon you. And it seems like you redeemed the years that he wasted and broke. And he's forever written down in all of all of eternity as the man who repented alongside the Lord. Father, we repent. And will we go down as repenters? who were intentional about all that we did for your glory and for the good of your creation, that we would serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh Lord, let our legacies be godly, spirit-empowered and impactful because we leave and we do all that we do unto you, both for heaven, uh, for the good of them toward heaven and for the good of them here on earth. Lord God, let us not be lopsided in our, in our legacy or lopsided in our witness. Be glorified in us, Lord as we serve you with all we have. Help us to run the race before us with the gifts you've given us. In Jesus' name.